Hi, everyone. It's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. On this episode, I have Jennifer Opal. She is a multi-award winning DevOps engineer, technologist, technical blogger, keynote speaker, and neurodiversity and inclusion advocate based in the UK. As you can tell, Jennifer wears many hats, including sitting on the co-production board of a charity called Neurodiversity and Business, as well as being the founder of the Opal blog. On today's episode, we talk about Jennifer's role as a DevOps engineer at Dropbox, being neurodivergent in tech and how we can support a neurodivergent team member, her experience with being the only one in the room and how it led to anxiety. We also talk about being a token in the workplace and provide examples of token behavior. And last but not least, we talk about getting that tech bag. I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, don't forget to rate and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this episode today. And before we jump into the episode, want to just give everyone a reminder that I am still offering career coaching services for anyone who's interested in getting to tech or people who are mid and senior level tech individuals who are looking to transform their career. You can find more details about an introductory call for career coaching in today's show notes. All right, everyone, let's get it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I'm joined by Jennifer Opal. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Uh, Jennifer, I know all the wonderful things that you're doing in the tech space, but for the listeners who might not be aware of what you do, want to give a brief introduction of yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name is Jennifer Opal. I'm a DevOps engineer at Dropbox. I'm also a technical blogger, a keynote speaker, and a new diversity and inclusion advocate, and I'm based in the UK. And during my career, I've won multiple awards, such as the Rising Star Awards at the Black Tech Achievement Awards. I've been named as one of the most influential women in tech in the UK by computerwinkie.com from 2020 and 2021, and, and so much more. So it's been quite a whirlwind of her career and, and quite short, to be honest with you, but it's been great. So that's me. <laughs> yeah. And just think, this is just the beginning of your career, but we're going to touch on some of those hats that you wear, because obviously with so much that you do, we can't touch on everything. First thing I want to touch on is your DevOps engineering role. So explain what that truly means to my audience. Like, what do you do on the day to day? So for a DevOps engineer, a DevOps engineer is responsible for what people might say is development and operations, which is what it does stand for. But it's not necessarily an actual thing. It's more of a culture. And the culture of that is ensuring that you think about the collaboration between the developers and between the operation side of things to work together to ensure that when it comes to the product and the platform that the product runs on, that we are running as efficiently and smoothly as possible so that the customer receives a great experience of using the product every single time. So for example, when you think about the outage that happened last year with Facebook and WhatsApp when they went down, Mm -hmm. that was DevOps. That would have been DevOps on call right there to ensure that they look at fixing the issue, finding out what happened, because that's an infrastructure issue. 
So they had to work together to try and find the issue, try and find out what happened and ensure that they get a release out to the customers as soon as possible so that they're able to get back on the platform and working with it efficiently. Mm-hmm. So it makes a lot more sense than when people try to use all the technical jargon and make it all complicated. If people, yeah. it's like the development plus operations, I think a lot of people would stop thinking that DevOps is scary because that's the tone of what DevOps is right now. Like the scary thing that only very technical people could be involved in, but you make it sound relatable, basically. <laughs> I think I think what I try and do is, because also comprehension isn't my strongest thing. Being dyslexic, my comprehension is very, actually quite poor. So when it comes to explaining things, sometimes even I sometimes struggle to find the words to really be able to help make sense of certain things. So I understand that splitting it between saying development and operations can help people to understand it better, but also understand that trying to use technical jargon to try and explain my role will not really help someone that is not technical or familiar with DevOps to really understand what that is. So yeah, I try and simplify as much as possible. It also helps me too. (laughs) And you mentioned being dyslexic, but you really identify as neurodivergent. Talk through that a little bit because the term is coming up, but a lot of people don't even understand what that truly means. So let's define that for anyone listening today. Of course. So neurodivergent is a way for people that have a brain that is different to everybody else. It's a way of identifying themselves to say, my brain is different to yours. So for example, for myself, I identify as neurodivergent because I have ADHD, dyslexia and dyspraxia. But neurodivergent is a huge umbrella. So it could be for someone that has autism, Asperger's, ADHD like myself, dyscalculia. There's so many, so many. It's just a way of us saying, our brain is different to the neurotypical mind. We think differently. We might need support in certain things. Doesn't mean that we're less capable. Doesn't mean that we need someone to kind of put our arm around us and hold us and be like, oh, wow, that's so sad. It's really not. It's more so just to say that we think differently and we identify as such. For some people, they like to expand on it further to say exactly what it is that they have, which is what I sometimes do. But sometimes telling people that I have ADHD, dyslexia and dyspraxia is quite the mouthful. So neurodivergent is a way that many people identify themselves. Now, how does that affect you in the workplace? Yeah, so it has its challenges for sure. I think that in the long run, for me being vocal about being neurodivergent has definitely helped me to ensure that people know that if I'm behaving in a certain way, or if there are certain things that I have done, they can also link it to the way that my brain is. So for example, I struggle with reading. So I use a screen reader called Read and Write, which is what I use to actually read through text because reading just like that is very, very difficult for me. So using a screen reader, I could read through things. So that is able to help me to articulate things I want to say or reading documentation helping me with my learning. So sometimes because of that, and also because of the way that my brain processes information, which could take longer than someone that's neurotypical, I need additional time to read something and understand something. So that also helps me to be able to say, hey, like, this is how I work and this is the support that I need. And I want to be able to express that to you. So that's helped me to kind of be more comfortable in being neurodivergent in the workplace 
and also having a team that's understanding and supportive of that and is able to learn about that from me, but also for themselves too. And for people who are listening to the episode and they might have someone on their team who is neurodivergent, what are some tips or advice that you have for them to make sure that they are having an inclusive environment? Because that's very key. Oh, 100%. I think the first thing is not to necessarily make suggestions, but to let them know that it is safe for them to share what support they need. I remember there was a situation, well, actually not a situation, someone reached out to me and asked me and said that they had a colleague who recently was diagnosed with ADHD and as as a manager, how do I support them? And my response was, let them know that you're there to support them. That's it. Because when I was first diagnosed with ADHD, I was, this was 20... 18, early 2018, it was just after I finished my first coding course with Code First Girls. So when I got diagnosed, it came as a shock. It was like, wow, I've navigated 27, 28 years of my life. And I now have an understanding as to why I am the way that I am or why I think the way I do or why when I'm reading certain texts, I can't remember what it is I've actually read or I'm losing track of what I'm reading or words are kind of moving around the page. But there's reasons now why I have that, but it's also a lifelong thing that I'm going to continue to learn about it. So it might be that there's some things that work for me in one sense, but some things that don't work for me. But I had to go through that process for myself. Someone can make suggestions to me, but I have to kind of go through that process of trialing it for myself first. And also having the support there in terms of like when I did get diagnosed by an educational psychologist they were able to kind of say, these are what we think you could try and use. This is how we think your brain works. Give them a try. But I think the most important thing is just to express to that person that if they need accommodations, if there's anything that they need for support, that they have a safe space to express that. So the key thing is is creating the safe space. That is what creates inclusion. And that's what makes them feel comfortable enough to come to you whenever they're ready to, to share that. And to be able to say, this is what I need. So yeah, create the safe space. Also, just based on what you mentioned, it also sounds like being empathetic, right? So yeah. being able to like listen and take that in. And like you said, you don't have to make suggestions. Just listen and understand where I'm coming from and give me that space to create an environment that's helpful for you within the workplace. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's literally right. It's important. Um, Empathy is key. It's not something that loads of people learn, you know, like some people kind of forget that part. Empathy is really important, especially when creating spaces of inclusion, because with empathy creates a space of inclusion, but also creates a safe space for your team and for your colleagues to be able to be their full selves in in every sense and not to feel that them being different in terms of how they think and how they are is not something that can be used against them. So there's still a lot of stigmas as well in the workplace where some people feel that they shouldn't share it because they're scared that by sharing it, it could result in them being dismissed or being treated like differently or that their disabilities might be used as kind of a way to weaponize whether they're good at what they do or not. So for some people, they choose not to share, but I think creating the safe space really does help them. Yes. You mentioned bringing your full self to work, which is always an ongoing conversation, especially in (laughs) and beyond. And we've talked about your neurodivergent part of yourself, but there's some intersectionality there because you also are a Black woman in tech. And Mm -hmm. so in order to bring your full self to work, you also have to bring that piece. So I want to ask, 
as a Black woman in tech, what has your experience been? It's definitely been up and down. Like when I first came into the tech industry, which was in 2019, well, that's when I got my first technical role. It was very apparent that there was a, a lack of representation. And coming from the UK as well, it's even smaller. So I came to the realization when I was in my previous tech role that I was the only Black person there. And I was working in a head office for a major telecommunications company. And I did call them out on that, you know, in in a way where it was respectful and not in the sense to kind of attack, but to just ask the question, why am I the only Black person here? Um, Why is there nobody else? And it definitely received a lot of praise within the organisation I was working at before and outside of it. When I brought that question to them, it it gave them food for thought because it was like, we never thought about that. Let's have a conversation. But thank you for sharing that. I'm glad that was I had that space, you know. I, I wasn't made to feel like, how dare you say that to senior leadership or to a CTO? Like, who do you think you are? Like, I wasn't made to feel like that at all. But I was invited to the space to kind of have a further conversation about that and what could be done to change it. But you'll find yourself in a lot of spaces where you are the only one and it can get very lonely. And in terms of the intersectionality of my identity, it I, I realised there was a layer there because it wasn't just the fact that I was a black woman, but also being neurodivergent on top of that, it could be even more lonely sometimes because you don't, you don't have anyone we can kind of connect with or not see someone that looks like you really, it, it does have an impact on you and on your mental health. It did get to a point where being the only one led to me being diagnosed with anxiety after my performance at work started to kind of slip, but I was tokenized heavily also at the same time. I have to talk about being tokenized sometimes. So one, I wanted to have us take a moment to define what that means. But two, give an example of what that actually looks like in the workplace, because I think people are being tokenized, especially after everything that happened with George Floyd. And we don't talk about it and how to navigate that situation. So let's go over that. Yeah. So the definition for tokenism is basically when someone, individual or a group of people are used to, in a performative or a symbolic way, in order to give the appearance of something that's existing but not actually existing. That's how I define it. So, for example, you may find that you are contacted during Black History Month to speak about something, but it's because you're the only Black person there. Or it might be that it's International Women's Day and that they need more women to talk about a particular thing and they might reach out to you because there's no other women of colour. So they might reach out to me because I'm a Black woman and they haven't realised, they just realised they haven't reached out to any other to come on stage and talk about their experiences. Other situations might be if you've been invited to speak at an event and it focuses on a particular group and they don't allow you to kind of speak about the intersectionality of your identity deeply. So it might be, for example, I'm using International Women's Day a lot, but that's what I've got on top of my head. If you've been invited to, let's say you've been invited to speak for International Women's Day, but we know that there's a difference of experience between the experience of a white woman and the black woman. And a black woman will come in and share their experience as a black woman because that's their experience. But you might find that you have to kind of 
you're kind of given kind of like some subliminals or there's like a body language that you're picking up where it's like, I don't think they want me to talk about me being black. Okay. I, they want me to just talk about being a woman. They're, they're trying to be like, don't bring race into this. Um, so you might find situations like that. And in other situations, it might be that you've been asked to be a part of a campaign for an organization and it's like a marketing thing and they're going to put you on social media to give the impression that there's diversity here and there's an inclusive environment here. But then you join the company and then you realize that that person left a year ago or something, like something like that. And they're still using their image to promote this this image that there's an inclusive environment here. It happens a lot. It really, really does. I even had a situation like that myself. Before joining Dropbox, I was looking for jobs and I I had someone that was a founder of a startup reach out to me Mm -hmm. and I went on the website and there was someone on the page that I recognized who was a black person. And then I reached out to them and they told me they never worked there. They just volunteered there for something, but allowed them to use their image for their website, for their startup. But this person was poaching me to to work there. So when I was like, what? Why would you let them do that? (laughs) Because you you didn't even work there. You were there for an event that you volunteered for. Yeah. And I was just like, why would you let them do that? You know, it was a shock to me. But I realized just how tokenism really does play a part in a lot of things, not just in terms of brand image of an organization. Tokenism doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I, I feel like a lot of businesses and, and needs to get to know that because the same people that you're hiring will leave within six months. You'll be lucky to have them for more than a year because you've misled them to believe that there's a particular environment for them to expect. And it's not what you have relayed it to be. Mm-hmm. So when they leave, you really can't be surprised. You misled them to join you in the first place. But to find out that a company has used someone's photo from an event they had, that is bad. Even if, let's just say they're poaching you and they want you to come to the company, you're already starting on a false foundation. It's not solid. That's not real. This is not how we should be doing things, especially in 2022. You've had time to change. Exactly. It's a shame. And I think that what a lot of organizations don't understand is that honesty is the most important thing. I would rather you be honest than for you to mislead me into coming and and applying for your organization and going through the Lord knows how many interview interviews to get to this point of an offer only for me to join. And it's like, why am I black history month? (laughs) Like, why is it just me? (laughs) Cause your, your recruitment video didn't tell me that. But I remember when I, like when I first joined Dropbox, I was going through the interview process for that. And I had my first chat with my now manager and he expressed it from the jump. And he said that you are the only, you will be, if you decide to join, you will be the only black woman in the engineering for now. From, from, from that point, that was last year, I would have been the only black woman. And the fact that he was honest about it was how I knew that this is somewhere that I needed to be because there's not a lot of organizations that will tell you that from the jump. Right. They will tend to keep that from you. Mm. But the fact that they vocalized that to me and gave me the decision to say, do you want to join this? Do you want to be a part of this? And he said to me that, you know, you will be the only black woman 
in engineering and on our team specifically as well. However, we are aware of that and we are looking at ways to improve that. We are looking at ways to change that and to reach out to those groups to bring them to join Dropbox and to join HelloSign as a whole. And this is before I even was like going to start the interview process. He gave me that information up front and gave me time for me to think about it. Uh And that's something that's not heard of a lot. Well, at least I've never heard it. But for me, as someone that was coming from a place where I, I, I wasn't informed about it and then going to a place where they actually do talk about it, that told me that inclusion is something that's practiced here. And that gave me the decision to be like, let me go through the interview process. Let's do this. Because the fact that you're honest about it and you're holding yourself to account and the company's holding them to to account, this is somewhere that I feel like I can thrive and somewhere I can learn and be myself fully. And it's not like I'll be in a situation where no one can see my race. I will very much be a, a black woman that, you know, will wear wigs one day and be bold the next. It's just, it's just how I am. <laughs> So you mentioned honesty back in the day that you say honesty is the best policy mm-hmm. and it really is because look at even your experience, them being honest from jump allowed you to go through the process because you were able to make the decision. Exactly. So, like, honesty and trust are two of the biggest things that a company can have. And for mm-hmm. some reason, not all companies have it, which is kind of weird to say out loud, but it is. it is what it is, but it's like, if anyone's listening and you are CEO or HR of a company, honesty and trust, that's all we're looking for out here. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, it, it helps in so many ways because when you are honest with your colleagues and honest with people, uh, with candidates um, applying to join the organization, it's something that can then be ingrained into the culture of the organization because that creates trust also within the teams. Mm-hmm. Like if you're honest with the, the candidates coming in, I would rather someone tell me there's no other black people working at this startup or there's no other black people in this engineering team. Tell me up front. Don't let me find out when I sign the offer and I come in on my first day. That is the worst part because it's not just about the fact that you're not honest about it. It's the fact that you don't see it. Right. If you don't see it, that is also a huge red flag if you don't see that. Because it's like, do you not, is it that you're not acknowledging the issue? Or is it the fact that you don't see race, quote unquote? Is it that you don't want to acknowledge that? Are you uncomfortable talking about race? What is it? What is the discomfort with that? But it is so key and so important. So you might find some candidates be like, "Mm, I don't want to be the only Black person here. Thank you for letting me know, but it's not for me. But you might find other people, like for me, where they've said that. And I'm like, I love the fact that you said that. That says a lot about the culture. I'd like to go through the interview process and see how it goes. But honesty is so important. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about your current role at Dropbox, but I do want to dig back to your very beginning in tech. And so I want to ask with how did you even get into tech? I know you mentioned taking a boot camp, but tell your story. Sure. So it started in 2017. I was in second year of my degree, which I've since dropped out of. I got onto a program and it was a program that was free for women and non-binaries. And the program was basically an effort to introduce women and non-binaries to learning how to code. And uh, it's a social enterprise called Code First Girls. 
and they are based in the UK. I'm not sure if they do international courses, but you're more than welcome to go and have a look. And they are an amazing organisation and they were collaborating with a lot of universities to bring this course, which is like once a week, a web development course um, to give you an introduction into what coding is and how to build with it. That was my first intro to code. It was once a week for eight weeks and I absolutely loved it. And I was really kind of like asking myself, why didn't no one tell me about coding before? And unfortunately, I just realized that I just didn't have that around me. You know, there was no one around me that was an engineer or a software engineer. I didn't have doctors or lawyers in my family. Like there was, there was, there was no one that did that. So I didn't see what I could be. So how would I know about it? And then after that course was done, I tried to learn on my own. But being the neurodivergent brain that I am, I'm incredibly indecisive. So I went from thinking, oh, I think I want to be a data scientist. I started learning um, Python and I started doing, playing around with like some data sets on Kaggle, learning about machine learning on Udacity and on Kaggle as well. Bought a Udemy course and obviously the majority of those things were left incomplete because that's just how ADHD is. We go on a dopamine high and then when we get bored, we just kind of plummet. If we get bored, we just move on. And I went from that to thinking that I wanted to do build websites and I did a free co-camp course, started that, got bored. And then I just kept jumping around trying to think about where I wanted to be. And then I also got overwhelmed by the immense amount of information that was out there yeah. from people saying, oh, don't learn Python because blah, blah, blah. Learn JavaScript instead. Learn, don't learn JavaScript, learn C sharp. Da, 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 da. And I would be jumping around trying to learn all these different languages and not really knowing why. So then during that time, the following year in 2018, Code First Girls collaborated with a, a major telecommunications company in the UK to produce the further program, which is now called the Nano Degree. And it was a full-time immersive program to not just teach women how to code, but also give them an opportunity to create a portfolio, go through the interview process for a job role. So I got onto that program and it started in October, October, 2018. And I was in my final year of my degree, which I was already failing. So I was doing a degree in business and French language. Oh. I had uni from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. in the evenings, Monday, uh, Monday to Friday, like three or four nights a week. Mm-hmm. And then in the days, I had the full-time program, nine to five. <laughs> and I, I had to do them both because the, the program itself was unpaid. So I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get the job or not. And I don't know if, the, if I'm going to get the degree or not. So I'm going to have to do both. And at the end of the program, we had all these projects that we had to complete in order for us to to qualify for interviews. So I finished mine and I was qualified for the interviews and I got offered a job. And I had to make a decision. Do I stay in uni and finish my final year or do I take this job and drop out of uni and fly off to Belfast in Northern Ireland? And I decided to fly off to Belfast in Northern Ireland (laughs) and drop out of uni. Um, (laughs) It's the best decision I've made. I've never lived outside of England before and and I've never been to Northern Ireland. But, you know, it was a great experience and absolutely loved it. It was a beautiful country. And that's where I started my career as a junior software engineer, working specifically in testing. I have to ask, because I know as a Black woman, 
our parents aren't happy when we just drop whatever we're doing and they think that we should be getting these degrees. So what did your parents say when you said, okay, I'm going to do this boot camp or this program? And then after the program, you say, oh, well, actually, I'm going to move over here (laughs) to Northern Ireland and take this job. So when I told my mom about getting onto the coding program or even getting the job even, she was really supportive and she was just like, she didn't understand what it is that I did. So as a Congolese parent, when you hear engineer, that's all you need. Like, that's all you need to hear. She doesn't need to really understand what we do. She's just like... (laughs) oh you're an engineer wow my daughter's an engineer I'm like yep <laughs> and then she just like I remember when I got the job and she was just so happy and she was Aww. celebrating and she went and called everyone in the family I didn't even I don't even think I got to tell my brothers before my mom got to them first but everyone was really proud of me moving to Belfast I think that she was a bit nervous in a sense where we move into another country we don't know anybody out there. So I can actually a bit worried about that. And a funny story where there was a day where I didn't answer the phone for like a day. Mm-hmm. And she called the police. Well, I feel like that's the average Black parent response to things. If you do not answer the phone after a day, I feel like most parents are calling the police. Yeah, I think like she was just really worried. And I don't think it was even a day. I think it was like half a day. And I remember my phone was on silent because I didn't realize it was on silent. Mm. And I, my brother called me. He's like, Jen, what are you doing? I'm like, what? Because like, mom's been calling you. Like, mom's crying. Like, we called the police and everything. I'm like, I beg your pardon. So I called my mom. And I'm like, don't cry. I'm okay. And then as I made my way back home, I got a call from a police officer. Goes, you're right. I'm like, yeah. And they said, your your mom called. Tell me you were missing. I'm like, I'm not. They're like. You know, <laughs> and they were like, we, we, I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm not missing that yet. We, we, we hear that. And um, we just wanted to just check sure you're all right. And like, yeah, we're fine. I'm not missing. <laughs> and like, good, just wanted to check in on you. But it, they were really nice, really friendly. And I made sure never to do that again. <laughs> but she was very supportive of me. I think she gave me the space to kind of figure out what it is I wanted to do because I, I was always so indecisive, but I was able to find somewhere where I could be creative. And that's what I was really desiring is a career that would allow me to be creative and to also try different things. And I found that in coding and found that in, in tech and I never expected to because it wasn't something that I'd seen. Mm, right. And again, that goes back to what you mentioned of you didn't even know that was an option because you hadn't seen anyone do it. And Jennifer, we talked about a lot today, and I do want to wrap up the conversation on a few different topics. First one, why shouldn't you pick up a job based on salary? A lot of focus is currently on getting that tech bag. 100%. And one thing that I find is I understand that for some people, they might pick a role because they see the article saying how much you could potentially earn with that role. don't go for the don't go just for that when you try and pick something and you're only focusing on how much you can potentially earn it can come back to bite you a little bit think about not just the role because there's so many roles in tech that could pay you a lot and but that's also very very limited as well because it depends on where you are in the UK you're not going to make six figures for a role 
I just want to make that abundantly clear because in the UK, we don't offer location-based salaries. So we don't offer salaries based on the living costs. They can basically just give you what they want as long as it's above minimum wage. So where I was working last, in my last role, I was making £30,000 a year. That was my salary for a software engineer. And that's normal. It's common, Mm -hmm. you know, for many roles. But don't just focus on the role itself. So when you do research roles and thinking, I want to find something that I like, you might find that, okay, I want to do DevOps. I don't know what that is, but I know that it pays well. That's when you look into be like, what is DevOps? Ask the question. Because asking questions about that role helps. But also, it will be something that you bring in to the workplace. It's important to ask questions. Yes. When you don't understand something, you ask questions. Yes. If, if you can't research something for yourself outside of a workplace, that's not good. It's not a good thing. You have, you have to make an effort to also research on your own. It really, really shows. Because if, for example, you want to apply for a role and it's a junior role, but you don't know what the role really entails, mm-hmm. you then ask someone for a referral, but then you ask them what the role is about. They're not going to refer you mm-hmm. because you've basically just said, I want to apply for this role in the hopes that you referring me will help me get this job but I don't really have the range to be applying for this job. So then you're allowing that person to put their name on the line to say, hey, I want to recommend this person. But then they look at the CV of that person and be like, why would you recommend this person? And then you find that when it comes to that person referring other people, it then affects other people because they might be like, oh, that person referred that person who didn't meet the criteria at all. Also, it's okay to not code. It is absolutely fine to not want to code. There are also roles within DevOps where you don't need to code. There are consultancy roles too, where you don't have to code. You can just give your ideas and you can give your opinions on certain things. You can look at sales. There's so many different areas, but you don't have to code if you don't want to. So give, give yourself time to research the roles. Yes, they're paying a lot, particularly in the, in the US, but it's also okay to say that you don't want to code. It's also okay to say you don't enjoy it. And it's okay to find a role that suits you that still pays well. It exists. I totally agree about do not chase money. It's not going to end well. It never ends well. Even though in your mind, you might be set for a few months with this high salary, but it's not going to end well. I know everybody says chase the bag, but don't chase the bag. I think you should attract the bag. Yeah, because I think like, like when you enjoy doing something, Mm-hmm. you not just it, it doesn't just show like you don't have to be passionate about a role like you don't have to be passionate about it but there needs to be an interest in what you're doing when you're not interested in what you're doing it will show there's only so lot much and so long that you can hide that you're not interested in this job it will reflect in your performance so you have to ensure that when you are learning something you are interested in it I'm interested in DevOps And the reason why I like it is because there's so many different tools. And the way that my brain operates is that I get bored so quickly that I like the fact that I can jump around and do different things using different tools all the time. I like that. That's how my brain operates. For some people, the tech stack is too big. They can't, they're not really into that. They don't want to work on the back end. They want to work on the front end. They don't want to work. They want to work with the cloud more 
compared to using another tool, for example, you'll find that there's certain things they enjoy. And that's okay, you know, but definitely think about that as you are looking for roles. Like you said, don't just chase the bag. Don't just focus on, oh my gosh, this is paying X amount. I want to do this. There are loads of different roles that are paying X amount. But find a role that you that interests you. You know, you don't necessarily have to be passionate about it, but enjoy it. Be interested about it. Be fascinated by it. Be eager to want to learn more about it. It shows and it helps. And it also helps you because then, because you're enjoying it, you're pushing yourself to continue to learn about that tool more and more. And then you're able to kind of express that, you know, whether it be through projects, whether it be through social media, whether you're creating a blog or doing a technical blog to break down a project you're working on, you want to enjoy it. It'll show that you enjoy it. And that's why a lot of people um, working in, in the tech space and engineering, for example, they might be like knowledgeable about the cloud, but they're really interested by it. And then they focus on that and they specialize in that and they teach about that. And that's all they need to teach about because they really do enjoy just the cloud and that's it. And that's okay. So yeah, don't get overwhelmed or bogged down by the some various different roles, but take the time to just understand what's involved and what that job entails. Yep. And I think the word that we're missing within that grouping is also the curiosity. And I think that's basically mm. what you've been trying to say of like, yeah. <laughs> the questions I feel like sometimes and I don't know why but when we're in the workplace especially as black people we are so afraid to ask questions yeah we will not know what something means and we will hold on for dear life to not ask the question because I guess like fear of looking like we don't know something (gasps) um like there's a lot of different factors that go into it but ask all the questions because everybody will ask you all the questions so you ask everybody all the questions oh that happens to me i still have that to this day really that something something oh 100% for me the, the type of person that i am mm-hmm. yes like i think that the the impression that i give is that i know everything mm-hmm. i do not <laughs> i do not And I think it's important for me to say that because I want people to understand that I'm also still learning too. I know as much as I I can, I I know, I know what I'm doing, but there's also things that I don't know. There's also some things that I I struggle to explain. And sometimes it's like, if you were to ask me, oh, like, can you demonstrate DevOps? I would probably be better at demonstrating what it is I do rather than explaining it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like that. In meetings, if something is coming up and everyone, you know, is talking about using a tool or something that I never heard of, I'll just be like, let me just write down this tool. It's called Artifactory. What in the world is Artifactory? And I could really ask that in the meeting, be like, could you explain what Artifactory is? But in my head, I'm like, oh, no, I don't want people thinking that I'm dumb. So let me just write it down, you know, and I'll Google it later on. It's okay to ask questions. Um, and and. Although I, I do get, you know, they do say, ask questions. I, I'm, I'm in an environment like that, but always like, if you have, if you need help, don't be afraid to ask. If you have a question, ask the question. There's no question that's too dumb. That's something that they always say. But in my head, I overthink things and I just don't ask sometimes. But it also kind of it becomes something that's to my detriment too, because then I miss out on learning something quicker because I'm kind of, not asking the question and I'm kind of sat by myself being like, oh my gosh, I don't know what this is or I don't know what I'm doing or things like that. And I do have those moments. 
But asking questions is so, so important, not just when you're learning, but also as you're growing in your career. It's important to ask questions. That helps you learn. And when you have a team, you have access to someone with with an immense amount of knowledge, ask the question. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm speaking to myself too. You know, I'm kind of like speaking to myself and give myself a pep talk. But yeah, asking the question is so important. It really is. And it helps you in the future. Asking the questions how I got to where I am. I'm also asking questions on Twitter too, all the time. Like sometimes there'll be something that I just don't know. And I'll ask the question. And you would think that someone that's won awards and been featured and I've been featured in The Guardian. I've been interviewed on the BBC. I've, I spoke about my awards earlier as well. You would think that someone like that doesn't need to learn or know anything else. No. I am still learning because there are people that are more knowledgeable than me and they have knowledge to share. So I'm going to ask them the question, could you share your knowledge in this area? Because that's what community is about and that's what your tech career is about. You're going to learn and you learn by asking questions and you grow by asking questions. A couple of points I want to make based on what you mentioned. First off, mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we hold people on a high pedestal. We are mm-hmm. all human. There's no oh, yeah. way that I can know it, every single thing that is possible. I might know a lot, but I don't know every single thing. And I think we need to keep that in mind. Like if I go pinch you, you're going to feel this pinch. Like we are human beings and we need to stop mm-hmm. having this expectation that someone knows everything too. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's other people in the room who also don't know what's going on. So they're probably writing down, like you said. Yeah. By you asking the question, you take that burden off of someone else. And I also think of it that way. But the third point and most important point is it's all a process. I honestly just got to the point where I asking questions whenever I have one, because sometimes, like you said, you get that kind of like analysis paralysis where you're like, oh, should I ask this? Is this going to be appropriate? Are they going to think I don't know? Guess what, girl? Everybody is Googling at work. So a lot of people. (laughs) So you are not alone. Don't be afraid to ask your question, but also recognize it's a process. Not everyone is extroverted or outgoing enough to say, hey, I have a question. Can you answer this? Sometimes you have to pull it out of yourself and be Mm -hmm. your own advocate and your own cheerleader to be like, hey, yeah, I could ask this question. It's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Also, though, I think it depends on the environment you're in, if you feel safe and comfortable to do that. So there's a lot of factors that go into all of this. So, Oh, 100%. 100%. Like, it's it's definitely not a a one-size-fits-all situation when it comes to asking questions. Because for me, I asked myself that, like, where I was previously, because I found that I didn't really ask questions. And I had to ask myself, why? Why did I not feel that I could ask questions? Mm -hmm. Is it the environment or is it me? Mm-hmm. And it could be both. Do I need to look at finding someone that I can lean on? Is there someone in the team that is that you that is you're kind of cool with that you can kind of message like on Slack or something to say, hey, like, did you hear this? Do you understand this? Could you jump on a Zoom call with me to explain it or something like that? Or can I tell you what I think I heard or what I think I understand about it? And can you tell me if I'm right? You know. And then if it's the case where it's like there's the one that you feel comfortable reaching out to to ask those questions that's another question to ask yourself why is that is it them or is it you is it the environment do you not like what is it is it the questions come back again but I definitely understand that it's it it definitely 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 depends on the culture and that 
the environment is inclusive and safe for you to be able to ask those questions. If the environment isn't safe or, or made to feel safe for you to be able to ask a question and not feel that you're going to be judged by it, then I can understand how that would have an impact on you not wanting to just ask the question. It makes sense. But then you'd have to ask the question about whether you feel that you'd be able to grow in your career in an environment like that. And whether you need to look at maybe looking for creating a community outside of work, having a network or a mentor, having someone you can kind of speak to to help you in your growth or whether to just focus it on maybe it's just the environment. It's just not for me. I don't feel comfortable here. I don't feel like I'm being my full self here. I might have to start looking at somewhere else to go. That's also okay too. Ask all the questions is the the conclusion of this portion of the conversation. But Jennifer, we've talked about a ton. I know. (laughs) Final question that I want to ask you is if there's anything that we didn't cover, or do you have any final tips or advice and wisdom for anyone listening to the podcast? Yes, I would say be wary of people charging you for coffee chats for no reason. When I say that, I mean, what I've noticed is that a lot of the time with social media, there's more of a rise of people charging money for things that they don't have knowledge about. So sometimes you'll find that people will be like, oh, like pay me this amount and I will teach you everything or I will be able to give you some resources for you to learn how to code or for you to get this six-figure role or whatever it might be. Be wary of that. Always, when you are taking information from people, vet them. There's no harm in looking at their LinkedIn to see what they actually do. There's no harm in checking their Twitter account. There's no harm in asking those questions, you know. Research into them first. Because sometimes when something is too good to be true, it really is. I always say just tread with caution. Unfortunately, I think being in tech has been coming up as a trend a lot in the last year or so. So that a lot more people have kind of been like, I want to get into tech, I want to get into tech, I want to get into tech. And then on, unfortunately, you have people that try and capitalize off of that and use people for that and mislead people too. So I've I've seen stories of people that have given money for resources and it's money that they really needed, you know? And it's like, I think that sometimes a lot of the questions that you might have or want to ask can be something that literally can be asked in a tweet. And you can use the hashtag Black Tech Twitter, which is what I use a lot. And you can just ask the question and you'll be surprised how people will come and help because that's what community is. And they won't charge you. They, they want to help. They want to give the resources. So just be wary. And before you ask questions, ask yourself, like, it's, it's very important because tech is broad. Mm. Tech is an industry, but tech can also mean technical roles. And within technical roles, there's an abundance of roles from cybersecurity to front end of development to DevOps engineering to cloud engineering. There's loads. Every single one of those requires different tools, different languages, different things that you will need to learn and understand and familiarize yourself with. Uh-huh. It's important that you think about the role that you want to go for so that when you ask the question, you can go on Twitter and just ask the question, be like, hey, I want to be a site reliability engineer. Where should I start? I want to do this project. What do you think? 
Twitter is the best. I always recommend Twitter because that's the best place to be when it comes to engaging with the tech community, particularly the black tech community. They're all there. <laughs> that's how I made a lot of my connections. They're all there. You use that hashtag, hashtag black tech Twitter. And if you have a question, I guarantee you someone will reply. I guarantee you that someone will help you and be able to direct you in the right way. But don't be afraid to ask because sometimes people are paying for things that they shouldn't be paying for. So yeah, just be wary and give yourself grace. Be patient. If you are like me and you are neurodivergent, it's not a deficit. You can get into tech. You can get into whatever role you want to do. It doesn't have to be a technical role. It can be a non-technical role. And you can also create a, a role for yourself. You know, you can build something from the ground up for yourself, but there's a space for you no matter what. But don't look at any of that as a deficit. It's it's a gift within ourselves. It's a challenge being neurodivergent, but there's gifts that come with it. We look at the world so differently that it's such a benefit when you are able to join an organisation and to be able to lend that way of looking at the world and that way of thinking to help them to build their products and improve things within their organisation. It helps. So, yeah, don't be ashamed of it. Thank you for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the show on all social media platforms under Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. And if you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It will help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.